Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. My name is Jessica Rust. I'm the Director of Pastoral Care here at South Fellowship. So it's not that I take care of the pastors. Um, It's that I get to help meet the needs of our community, whether in our church or outside of our church, um, and whatever ways those might arise. And it means that I get to continue our summer series today called Ordinary Time. We talk about ordinary time. If you're not super familiar with the church calendar, it refers to a season of the church calendar, that big green half circle right on the left. the church calendar starts in November or December with the season of Advent that leads up to Christmas. And it actually maps out the whole calendar year to fit with the story of Jesus and the story of the church. And it encourages us not just to pay attention to God's story on the really big, fun, important days like Easter and Christmas, but to look at what God is doing all the days of the year. For Ordinary Time in particular, the author Wendy Wright says, Ordinary Time asks us to become attentive to the call of discipleship, both outer and inner. What are we called to do, and what are we called to be? To help us investigate Ordinary Time, we're using something called the lectionary. A couple weeks ago when we started this series, Pastor Aaron referred to the lectionary as essentially a Bible reading plan. That's essentially what it is. Um, The idea is that every Sunday over the course of three years is assigned five, maybe a few more passages, some from the Old Testament, always one from the Gospel, some from other parts of the New Testament. And in theory, if you were in church every Sunday over three years, you would hear most of the story of scripture being told through these lectionary passages. And one of the really beautiful things about the lectionary is that it's used across denominations and around the world. So when we look at our text today, it's not just us as self-fellowship looking at a passage of the Bible, we get to join with other churches just down the street and around the globe and across cultures to investigate this text together. So before we jump into our text, I do want to mention, um, Alex mentioned earlier um, that one of the things we're doing in this series is asking God every week to show what he has for us in each sermon. Uh, We gave out some journals at the very beginning. If you didn't get one, I think there might be one or two left at the the back. Um, It might just be one or two at this point. Um, If you didn't bring your journal, or you just hate paper, open up the notes on your phone, write it on your hand, do whatever you need to do, but be listening with anticipation for what God wants to say to you today. And if you have any questions about what I say, you can text that phone number, take a picture quick or write it down because I'm about to change. So let's stand together as we read our passage, Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before you sit down, let's pray this together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've been around church for a while, and maybe even if you haven't, you are probably familiar with this passage to some degree. Maybe it's already your favorite verse and you go back to it over and over and over again. Maybe as you heard these words today, you were able to just exhale and already feel like you've laid something down. Maybe for you, you're like, yep, that's my one thing. I wrote it down. I can leave now. Thank you so much. (laughs) Maybe there's an off chance that might be someone in here who's listening to this and says, actually, I'm good. Everything in my life is great. Things are perfect. I have no worries or burdens. Like, things are totally fine. And if that's you, congratulations. Um, I hope that lasts for you until tomorrow. But really, just by virtue of being human, living in a broken and fallen world, caring about other humans who also live in a broken and fallen world, more often than not, we feel burdened and weighed down. Life can feel less like this guy, um, who it looks like is having a great time and probably feels totally equipped to be doing all the things that he's doing, and more like this. This is Vincent van Gogh's painting of women minors, and the things that we feel like we have to carry through life can often feel like they're sacks of coal, like they're heavy, they're pushing us to the ground, and we just can't put them down. So when scripture offers an alternative, when Jesus said he'll provide rest for the weary, that's exactly what we want to hear. But the thing is, there's so much more to this passage than just those last three verses. And there might be more to this passage, to those last three verses, than we assume is going on in the first place. There are so many wonderful promises and encouraging verses in scripture, and there's nothing wrong with going to those passages for hope and comfort and encouragement. But scripture was also not written in a vacuum. Jesus didn't just walk around the hills of Galilee like throwing out pithy phrases to the passerby and somehow they got recorded for us to read. Anything that shows up in scripture, there's a reason why he's saying it. He's saying it to someone in the moment, and it's always beneficial to understand what came before and how that might be influencing what you're reading now. So what is happening now? Backing up a little bit to chapter 11, the very beginning, Jesus is uh, teaching crowds in Galilee and he receives a couple messengers from John the Baptist. John was his cousin. He had spent his own ministry baptizing and proclaiming repentance um, and preparing the way for Jesus to show up shortly after him. And at one point, Jesus even goes to where John is baptizing and John's response is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it seems like John is totally on board with everything that Jesus is doing. But fast forward to where we're at in chapter 11, and by this time he's in prison 
he's losing hope. And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come, that is the Messiah, the one who is supposed to set all things right for God's people, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus affirms, yes, he is the Messiah. He replies to John's disciples, citing Isaiah, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Scripture is being fulfilled, but it's not happening on the timeline that John wanted or in really the way that he hoped it would look like. And he's not alone in that. The people of Galilee and the people of Israel as a whole have been anticipating this Messiah, and yet when Jesus shows up, instead of welcoming him, Jesus tells them that they rejected him. Starting in verse 16, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, you did not mourn. For John came neither eating and drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. The people of Israel had been anticipating this Messiah, and yet John the Baptist shows up with an admittedly very intense approach to ministry. And the response is rejection because he didn't look like the way that they thought a prophet was supposed to look like. And then Jesus comes with a different approach and instead of accepting him, and in their minds, he's just not holy enough. He's irreverent because the real Messiah wouldn't be so quick to eat with tax collectors and sinners like he's doing. So like little kids who are playing a game in the marketplace, instead of joining in, they pout because they're not playing the game that they want to play, so they're just not going to engage at all. And it's not like they had no understanding of their own need. Like we've said before, they were anticipating the Messiah's coming. They had been waiting for hundreds of years. It's not like they had no idea they needed deliverance. They knew things weren't well. But they were looking for a savior who would show up in a specific way. They thought pretty much they had everything else locked down. They had their traditions. They had their rules for interpreting scripture that had been passed on from generation to generation. And they counted themselves wise. They were so proud of their wisdom and their traditions. And in clinging to those, they missed out on what God was actually doing in their midst. But Jesus isn't going to leave them there. At least in chapter 11, he's going to give them one more chance to hear who he is and respond to him. And that brings us to our lectionary passage in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. It's not those who feel like they have wisdom and information and all their stuff together. It's those who acknowledge their need who will be open to the reality of the kingdom and what Jesus is doing. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
it can be easy when we're reading a scripture passages like this or listening to it that's a little bit more dense and involved and a little bit repetitive to just skim past and get to the next section. But taking the time to parse out what is happening um, is actually really important for having a full understanding of scripture and understanding the depth of why Matthew would include something like this in his biography of Jesus in the first place. Jesus is making what's called a Christological statement here. He's saying something significant about who he is and what he's doing. Jesus says all things, that's not some things, that's not a few things, that's not a little bit of power, it's absolutely everything has been committed to him by the Father. It is only Jesus who can reveal the full knowledge of who God is because he is the only one who knows God the Father through and through. When he says no here, it's not a knowledge like he read a bunch of books, he did um, a bunch of studying, he can recite a bunch of scripture, which you know he totally could, but that's not what he's talking about here. It's a personal, relational knowing. I think um, probably everyone in here could say who this person is, Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of the United States. Uh, probably quite a number of us could say at least a few details and facts about Lincoln's life. Probably most people could say how he died. But unless you've locked the secret of time travel, no one can say that they're actually friends with Abraham Lincoln. None of us have a personal relationship with him. We haven't walked with him, had a conversation with him, um, sat down to a meal with him. We don't know him in a relational way. Um, or how about this person? This is Corey Tenboom. She is a Dutch Holocaust survivor and a follower of Jesus. Maybe some of us have read some of her books, like The Hiding Place, which is absolutely worth reading. Um, maybe someone, don't actually do this, it's a hypothetical, but maybe someone could get up here and tell the story of her life. Maybe her own faith has influenced and impacted your faith journey. And that's beautiful, but even that level of influence isn't the same as a personal relationship, like the kind that Jesus is saying that he has with God the Father. He makes it a point and he repeats it that he knows God and this intimate, experiential, personal knowing and therefore he is the one who can reveal that knowledge to us if we are willing to accept it. And this is a really big deal for Jesus to say something like that. It's not something that a faithful Jewish person would say. It's not just that, um, you know, he's tried really hard to obey God. He is claiming that he is God. The Jewish people were expecting a Messiah, and Jesus is not just the Messiah. As true as that is, and important as that is, he is God with them in the flesh. There's a dimension that the people of Galilee listening to him say these words have never even thought of or imagined, and yet he is here offering the face of the Father to them. John, in his gospel about Jesus, phrases it in a slightly different way, but it's essentially the same claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's because of this, because of Jesus' divinity 
and authority and sovereignty that he can tell us what to do in verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If Jesus isn't God, if he is not the person that he is claiming to be in this passage, what actually can he offer us? What it comes down to is some nice ideas and options about how to live our lives, but he can't offer rest. He can't offer relief. He can't take anything off of our shoulders. He can't promise that his yoke is gonna be different really in any way from all of the other ways that we're already living, all of the other options that we have of worldview and lifestyle and things to pursue. But yet that is what Jesus is claiming, that his yoke is different. Now, the yoke is an image in scripture that if you read six commentaries, you're gonna get eight options of what Jesus might actually be talking about here. Um, and I had a really hard time finding free images of yokes that wouldn't violate copyright. So I did a couple drawings. <laughs> um, and then handily, Neil Levers happened to have a goat yoke in his car. So you guys get this for service didn't. Um, but some people think that Jesus is referring to the type of yoke that you would put around, in this case, oxen, um, to bind them together and have them move in tandem to help you pull a wagon, pull a plow, complete the work that you are trying to get done. The majority opinion um, seems to be that one. Um, just got better than the first time. Um, the single yoke that a person would place around their shoulders that allows them to carry a heavy burden, especially long distances. And it seems like kind of a surprising image because in the text it seems a little bit like it comes out of nowhere. He hasn't already mentioned yokes to this crowd in Galilee that he's talking to at any point in chapter 11. But for the people who are hearing him teach, this would have already been a familiar image for them. They could have looked around their everyday life and seen a yoke being used. And it was already used also in scripture and to talk about scripture. In the Old Testament, the image of the yoke shows up uh, quite a few times, usually in prophetic texts and usually to talk about the oppression that Israel has received from other nations, especially Egypt, who held Israel in slavery for hundreds of years, and the nation of Babylon, who took them into exile. It was also used at the time of Jesus in a positive way. The rabbis would take up, talk about taking up the yoke of the Torah um, when talking about living in obedience to God's law. And that in and of itself is a good thing. Obeying God is a good thing. But um, at that point, even that had become heavy and burdensome. In Luke 11, when Jesus is talking to, well, um, scolding, taking to task the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he tells them that they have turned God's word into something heavy that the people can't carry. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. 
God's people are experiencing oppression, not just from external invaders like the Roman Empire and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, but their own leaders have turned the word of the Lord into something that they cannot lift. And that might be your experience too. Your experience of church and Christianity and following Jesus might be that it is a heavy yoke to try to do everything perfectly so that God will accept you and those who call on his name will accept you. And you're tired of trying to live up to that weight and expectation. You think you've been carrying Jesus' yoke, but in no way does it feel easy and light. But that weight of burden and obligation is the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Even though he's the one with authority and power, he is gentle and humble in heart. Instead of standing far off, um, demanding perfection without assistance, he is welcoming those who will come to him. And he promises a different yoke, an easy yoke. Not an absence of a yoke, but an easy yoke. One way or another, we will all walk through life carrying something, whether it's Jesus' way or the things that we've picked up ourselves. Maybe that's the burden of religious rules and expectations like we just talked about. Maybe that's your own yoke that you've strapped to your own shoulders. We all have things that we place upon ourselves over and over and over again that may not be what God would ask of us at all. Maybe it's something, a burden that someone else has put on you. Maybe it's something that's not your fault, something you would never have chosen, but it's just the result of living in a broken and fallen world. I don't know everyone's story in here, but I do know that alongside our genuine joy and love and fellowship with one another and welcome we have a lot of weary people in our community. People who are weighed down by the weight and grief of death, of diagnoses and disappointments, of trauma, broken relationships of all kinds. The everyday struggle of trying to live here in Denver with high cost of living, trying to pay your bills and just survive. The burden and weight of just wanting to be known, for someone to see you as you and welcome you for who you are. When Jesus is saying to take up his yoke, he's not telling you to just add being a good Christian onto everything else that you're dealing with, suck it up and keep going or else. The invitation is to set the systems and expectations of the world, including our own systems and expectations down and take up his way of living day by day, moment by moment, and the joyful moments and the difficult ones, the big, exciting ones and the ordinary ones. The scholar Frederick Dale Bruner says a yoke is not a sitting instrument, it's a walking instrument. Jesus does not say, take my chair and learn from me. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. Which means that as we seek to live in obedience to Jesus, we learn from Jesus along the way. And when Jesus, um, when we take up his yoke, he offers rest. So what does yoke or rest mean? We talked about what yoke means. 
What does rest mean? Um, I think I can tell you what it doesn't mean. The last two and a half years have been pretty difficult for my family. We've especially had a lot of health problems, wave after wave of illness. We've had a couple surgeries, a couple hospital stays, um, chronic illness. And all through this couple years, I have prayed these verses asking God for rest. And it just never really seemed to come. Some things got better, some things popped up again. Um, And I was angry and disappointed that this promise that seemed so clear to me that God was offering just never seemed to happen. And I realized something not too long ago that when I was asking for rest, I was asking God for a couple specific things. I was asking that God would just make it stop. Make it stop. Give us space to breathe. Let it all go away. When I was asking for rest, it was also asking that I would just feel totally fine about everything that was happening. It would all just kind of like bounce off me like I was invincible. Um, That definitely didn't happen. And I realized that I was asking for rest in the first place, not just so so things would stop, so the suffering would stop, so we could have a break. But I was asking for rest so I could pick up what I was carrying before, my own yoke of trying to be a perfect mom, perfect wife, perfect church staff employee, not just good, but perfect, have my house in order, do all the things, without stopping to consider if that was what God was actually asking me to carry or whether I needed to make any changes at all. And what I heard God say was you weren't made for that. Not that I don't have real responsibilities, but that I wasn't made to go 100 miles an hour living life that seemed best to me and to other people's expectations when it really had nothing to do with his way. I wasn't made for that. You weren't made for that. When Jesus offers rest and an easy yoke, Jesus isn't saying that all your problems will go away. You might have suffering ahead of you. The road that you have to walk might feel steep and rocky sometimes or even most of the time. You might still have pain. What Jesus is offering in this passage when he offers rest isn't an out, he's offering himself. And when he talks about rest in this passage, the Greek phrasing isn't like sleep or a vacation or a break, it's talking about a deep refreshing in your soul. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not striving, not unwieldy expectations and a heavy yoke, but a savior. God in the flesh, Jesus, who is gentle and humble in heart, who will walk with us day by day, even through the darkest valley, 
and teach us his way if we are willing to learn from him. So what might it look like for us today to take up his yoke? Um, I think probably the best way to start is to ask God what you're trying to carry on your own and in your own way and what he would like you to do instead. Confess it to him, surrender those things to him, ask him what he has next for you. My burden, my yoke might not be yours. Um, What he has next for me might not be what he would have next for you. But if you ask him, he will tell you. Maybe the difficult part for you is the day-by-day discipleship aspect. Um, Some practices you might try could be starting your day with prayer, asking him what thing he has for you that day. You could try meditating on passages like Psalm 23 or this passage, Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Um, We've talked before about the value of silence and solitude and intentionally making time to seek God's presence and his voice. Um, Maybe for you, the next step is to talk to someone about what you've been carrying. That could be a trusted friend, it could be a counselor. Um, We have plenty of support groups available at South. Celebrate Recovery meets here every Tuesday night at 6.30. You don't have to register, you can just show up and join a community of people working through their hurts, habits, and hangups together. Tuesdays, we have a group for people dealing with chronic illness and pain. Um, In the fall, we'll have grief share starting again for people dealing with the loss of a loved one. And maybe for you, you have never thought about taking up Jesus' way of life and his yoke. Maybe today's the day. You can't have the rest that he offers without getting him in the process. We're going to sing together now. We'll have a couple people up here um, who are willing and available to pray with people. We would especially love to pray for someone who feels like they have a heavy yoke to carry today. Let's join together and listen for God's voice. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org slash give. And thanks for listening. We hope you have a great rest of your day.